Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Well, this is a, a very familiar story. Herod, the self-proclaimed king of the Jews, finds out that he is being tricked by the Magi, the wise men. And out of jealousy and paranoia, he decides to kill all the babies in Bethlehem hoping that within the slaughter to kill Jesus, the true king of the Jews. However, God intervenes and warns Joseph in a dream, and Joseph takes Jesus and his family into refuge, to be a refugee in Egypt. And they remain there until they hear that King Herod has died from a very horrible disease. Then they return from Egypt, but they don't go back to Bethlehem because they hear that Herod's son, who is as equally as evil as Herod himself, is now ruling in Judea around that area. So instead they go to the northern parts of Israel in an area of Galilee and they settle in a town of Nazareth. Now, it's interesting, it an important point to just point out is that Bethlehem was a really small town in those days. And there were probably only about 20, maybe 30 babies under the age of two years. So it's, well, I often get this impression that there were hundreds of babies that were killed. That is simply not true. Nevertheless, it doesn't take away anything from the horrific nature of that event. Now, all these horrific events, the the murdering of all these children by Herod, Jesus having to become a refugee in Egypt, and then later a refugee in Nazareth, all of these events are presented by Matthew as the fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, uh, Matthew starts his prophecy fulfillment theme even with the birth of Jesus, the virgin conception, and being given the name Emmanuel, God with us, is in fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And the very place where Jesus would be born, Bethlehem, is presented as in fulfillment of the prophecy in Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. And within this particular passage, the prophecy fulfillment theme continues. Jesus being called out of being a refugee in Egypt is presented as being in fulfillment of the prophecy in Hosea, chapter 11 and verse 1. And all the women in Bethlehem, all the mothers in Bethlehem, weeping for their children, is presented as being in fulfillment of Jeremiah 31 and verse 14. Sorry, in verse 15. And even uh, Jesus being brought up in Nazareth is presented as being in fulfillment of a prophecy. Now, This whole fulfillment of prophecy theme that Matthew presents is surely to ensure his readers that this 
is how it was meant to be. This wasn't some kind of mistake. But Israel's Savior was meant to be born like this. God would liberate His people and bring justice to the whole world in this way. What's the point of having a comfortable life when the world is hurting? What is the point of having an easy life when the rest of the world is in pain and suffering from injustice and violence? Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us. But the question I want to ask this morning is this. Is Jesus really fulfilling prophecy within this chapter? Or is Matthew making the whole thing up? Or perhaps Matthew is just mistaken. Well, it, it seems, that when we're reading it, it seems that Matthew is quite clearly presenting it as though it is fulfillment of prophecy. So when Jesus is called out of Egypt from being a refugee in Egypt, we read in verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. That's the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. So that seems straightforward enough. But wait a second. When you actually go back and read the prophet of Hosea and what he actually said, you realize that he wasn't speaking prophetically at all. He wasn't looking forward to some future event, but rather he was looking back to Israel's past. He was looking back to how God had rescued Israel out of Egypt. So if you read uh, what the prophet Hosea actually said in its context, and I'll go back very quickly to Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, this is what he writes. He says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. So how can that be a prophecy about Jesus? Secondly, <coughs> when Herod has killed all the babies in Bethlehem, and all the mothers are weeping for their children... Matthew presents this as though it's in fulfillment of what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31 and, and verse uh, 15. Yet, when we read, uh, I'll read for you in verses 17 and 18. It says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And refusing to be comforted because they are no more. But again, if you go back to the book of Jeremiah and you read what Jeremiah is talking about, he's not talking about the mothers of Bethlehem weeping for their children. Rather, he's using Rachel as a symbol for the mothers of Israel 
weeping for Israel as Israel goes off into exile in Babylon. So once again, how can that be a prophecy about the woman at Beth, the mothers of, in Bethlehem weeping for their children? And as for uh, the claim that Jesus being brought up in Nazareth was the fulfillment of prophecy in verse 23, it's very difficult to make any comment on that because there is no record, no surviving record of any prophet ever saying he will be called a Nazarene. So all of this has led some people, for example, the great New Testament scholar William Barclay, to conclude that this is not prophecy at all. In fact, Barclay claims what Matthew is doing is merely... In, Matthew, in his enthusiasm to try and convince the Jewish readers that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, has gone back to the Old Testament and found any phrase that seems to fit verbally and merely claimed that it was prophetic. Is he correct? Is that what Matthew's doing? Is Matthew using a sleight of hand in order to convince Jewish readers that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, I don't think so. I think Matthew is doing something far greater. I think he's trying to demonstrate how Jesus truly fulfills the role of Israel and ultimately and climatically fulfills all Old Testament prophecy. But in order to understand what Matthew is doing, we really have to have a good grasp of the story of Israel. There are two significant events in the history of Israel. The Exodus and the exile. Firstly, the exodus. And most people know the story. It's how the, the Israelites went into Egypt to, to seek refuge. But while they were there, they ended up becoming enslaved to Pharaoh. God, then through Moses, rescues the Israelites. And we have the plagues and the Red Sea crossing. God then makes a covenant with Israel and gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. And then after 40 years of being tested in the desert, finally Israel crosses the Jordan River and enters the Promised Land. Then secondly, we have the exile. Many years later, the Israelites turned their back on God and as a result, God sent the nation of Israel into exile in Babylon. And while they were there, God promises to rescue them. God promises to renew His covenant with them. To write His law on their hearts. And He promises to restore their King, the Messiah. Then after 70 years they returned back into the promised land in a kind of new exodus. 
experience. Now to fast forward very quickly, we get to the day of Jesus, when Jesus is born. We discover that the Romans are now ruling over Israel. And Herod is a false king. So Israel is once again in exile. Although they're actually physically in their land, they're in a state of exile because they've been ruled over by a foreign nation. So once again, they are waiting for God to come and rescue them. Once again, they're waiting for God to fulfill His promises of old in a new way. Once again, they are waiting for a new exodus. And what Matthew is doing in these early chapters of his gospel is showing how God is doing this new exodus in and through Jesus. So firstly, Matthew is presenting Jesus as the true Israel. Israel in person. Jesus fulfills the very role that Israel was meant to fulfill. So just as Israel went into Egypt as a refugee and then comes out, so Jesus goes to Egypt as a refugee and then is called out. Just as Israel is, there's lots of weeping and crying as Israel goes off into exile. So is there weeping and crying in Bethlehem as Jesus goes off into exile. Just as Israel has to go through the Red Sea, goes through the waters of the Red Sea, Jesus goes through the waters of baptism in Matthew chapter 3. Just as Israel spends 40 years in the wilderness being tested, so does Jesus spend 40 days in the wilderness being tested in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus fulfills the role of Israel. But unlike Israel, who failed, who fell into temptation, Jesus succeeds. Jesus does for Israel what Israel is unable to do. And it's the same for us. Jesus does for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. Jesus lives a righteous life. Jesus conquers death so that we can receive forgiveness, so we can be restored into a right relationship with Jesus, so that we can experience eternal life. But what does it really mean to be Israel. Israel is all about an identity. It's about being the people of God. It's about being in that intimate father-child relationship with God. Israel is also about a vocation. It's about bringing God's blessing to the rest of the world. It's about bringing God's love and peace and compassion to a hurting world. Jesus completely embodies that. Israel failed to be in that right relationship with God. Israel failed to be a blessing to the nations. But Jesus succeeds. For Jesus is Israel in person. 
secondly, Matthew is presenting Jesus as the true, humble king. The, the prophecy in verse 23, he will be called a Nazarene, is a play on words. It's often used by ancient writers. It's a play on words. The Hebrew word, Nazar, which literally means branch, but figuratively symbolized the Messiah, the future king of Israel. And what Matthew is saying over here is Jesus is a Nazar, a Nazarene. It's a play on word. He is the true Messiah, the true king of Israel. But it's more than that. Nazareth was also famous for nothing. The only thing Nazareth was famous for was being famous for nothing. By placing Jesus in Nazareth, by claiming he's a Nazarene, is showing that all of the Old Testament prophets show that God's servant, God's Messiah, would be humble, would be despised. Jesus is the true, humble king that will lead his people out of exile. Thirdly, Matthew is presenting Jesus as the new Moses. The new Moses will lead his people out of exile, who will establish a new covenant, who will give a new law, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's readers would not have missed the comparison that Matthew is making between Moses and Jesus. When Moses was born... There were many babies, Israelite babies, who were killed by Pharaoh. When Jesus is born, Herod kills the babies in Bethlehem. Moses is only saved because God intervenes and Moses is placed on a basket on the river Nile. Jesus is only saved because God intervenes and warns Joseph to take Jesus to Egypt. Later on in life, Moses has to take refuge outside of Egypt because Pharaoh wants to kill him. Later, I mean, Jesus has to take refuge, ironically, in Egypt because Herod wants to kill him. In verse uh, 19 and 20, uh, we read, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take your, the child's life are dead. This is almost word for word exactly the same what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 19. God says to Moses, while he's taking refuge outside of Egypt, God then appears to Moses and says, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who want to kill you are dead. And this is how Matthew is presenting Jesus. He's presenting Jesus 
as the true Israel. Israel in person. The person who fulfills the role of Israel. The person who does what Israel was unable to do. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Secondly, he presents Jesus as the true, humble king. He is the Nazar, the true king. But he is also from Nazareth. He identifies with us. He experiences our pain and our, our poverty. He is a victim of violence. He is the true, humble king who will lead us out of exile. And lastly, he is the, the new Moses who will establish a new covenant. And give us a new law. And this sets the scene for us to understand the rest of Matthew's gospel, to understand the public ministry of Jesus. So Matthew isn't using a sleight of hand to try and convince Jewish readers that Jesus is the Messiah. Rather, Matthew is demonstrating profoundly how Jesus is the ultimate and the climatic fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. How Jesus brings the story of Israel to its climatic ending. And it's only by having this understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing that we can truly understand the significance of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is true Israel. That although we try and we stumble and we fail, we know that we can trust Jesus because He succeeds where we fail. He has provided a way where we could never provide. We thank you that He is the true humble King who comes and identifies with us experiences our pain and our poverty, our hardships, who is a victim of violence, but yet he too is a victorious king who overcomes for us. We thank you that he is our new Moses who establishes an everlasting covenant between us and God, that we can have that relationship with you, that he brings a new law, the Sermon on the Mount, And Father, as we go forward in the new year and we study what Jesus said and taught, help us to grasp the full significance of it. Help us to allow those words and those teachings to transform us into the people you would want us to be. But we thank you that this is all possible because you loved us first. And that you came to us to rescue us out of our own exile. Father, we confess that we are in in an exile that we don't know you as well as we should, that we don't live as well as we should, that we don't help and love others as well as we should, that we are in darkness and we need your light and help. And we thank you that you provided that for us in Jesus. And we pray that you'll shine your light into us by your Holy Spirit and empower us to become the people you want us to be. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.